Tonight I want to look at Matthew chapter 12. It's going to be on the screen up here. Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 through 8. And you can use that and then turn to the other scriptures as I, as I bring them up. I want to look at Matthew chapter 12 verses 1 through 8 and see how Jesus used David's lie. David told a lie. And Jesus used David's lie to protect the disciples that were following him, to silence the Pharisees that were, that were on his back, and to get himself really one step closer to the dying on the cross. Matthew chapter 12, verse 1. At that time... Now, Jesus departed. We, we've got to, what time is this that we're talking about? Let's, let's look at some, uh, some context. Jesus departed from, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 1, his own city, Capernaum, where he saw the woman healed and the, uh, the daughter of uh, Jairus, Jairus, she was raised. And then to uh, chapter 11, verse 1, now it came to pass that Jesus departed from there uh, to preach and teach in the city. So he's left, he's left his own city, Capernaum. He's gone to preach and to teach in the cities. Then we go back to Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, that says, at that time. I don't, you know, most scholars, when this story is told in Mark and this story is also told in Luke, uh, Matthew really doesn't follow the timeline there. He's just... Referencing at this time, at this time, at this time, Jesus is doing these things. Not necessarily in chronological order, but referencing that he did these things. So this is also found in Mark and it's also found in Luke. We're going to stay in Matthew though and see what Matthew says. Um, So in chapter 12 verse 1, Jesus is on the move. He's on the move through the cities. He's on the move through the villages. He's teaching as, as he goes. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Now, we don't yet know the origination or the destination of, of their journey on the Sabbath. We don't know where he started from, really, and we don't, really don't know where he was headed to. But we know it couldn't have been very far because a Sabbath day journey was only about three-quarters of a mile. It wasn't a very long journey. So whatever, wherever he was starting from and wherever he was going, it wasn't very far. But we know that it was through, through a grain field. The country then, as today, is mainly without fences. It's hard for us to really imagine um, a country without fences. We have a lot of fences. We have fences around our fences. I've seen that, you know. Uh, we have lots of fences in this, in this country. Over there, even today, from what I understand, they, they still don't have a whole lot of fences. And, and paths went through the fields. Paths went through the fields. And... Uh, in, chat, in verse 1 it says, And his, and his Jesus' disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain to eat. Now Mark and Luke, they record this instance. And Luke says that they, they rubbed these heads of grain in their hand. Now, most scholars say that this was barley, and I was glad. Because about two years ago, we were, maybe it's two, maybe three years ago, we were up at the Bethany Congregation in, in Franklin, Kentucky. And it was about this time of the year, I, I believe. And outside of their building, we were, you know, had an out-of-dish dinner and everything. We were, me and this one fellow, I can't remember his name, we were talking outside the building. And just across from their, from their annex or their fellowship hall was a, a field of barley. 
and it was we could reach over the fence and 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 touch it. You know what I mean? And that, I asked him what it was because I really didn't know. You know, I don't know much about farming. I asked him what that was. He told me. You know, it was barley, and he reached out and he plucked a head of it off and rubbed it in his hands, and the chaff went away. And all he's left left was the barley seeds, the barley kernels. I did the same thing, you know. And that's what the disciples were doing. They were they were that's, they were plucking it off the, the the heads of the stalks, the heads off the stalks, and rubbing it in their hands, and, and eating the barley grain. Uh, I would have had to have been really hungry though to just want to eat that. I, I tasted of it. Tasted very wooden, tasted very bland. It needed some sugar or some salt, something. It needed something uh, to go with it, you know. But uh, uh, the people living then, they may have been more used to the taste than, than I would have been. This was, and this was common practice. It was common practice for travelers to, to be walking. If they walk through a grain field, to reach out and, and pluck the heads off the barley or the wheat and, and eat them. It, it wasn't against the law to do so. The law of Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 25, that this was, this was certainly a, allowable to do so. That as you're walking, you can do this. All right, so the disciples, they were hungry as they walked in verse 2. And when the Pharisees saw it, now, just this statement here, just this very statement here shows how scrutinized every action of Jesus and his disciples had become. They were, they were, being, they were hated by, by the Pharisees. They hated Jesus, and they scrutinized his every turn. But this also, this, this, just this saying right here, and when the Pharisees saw it, this also magnifies the sinlessness of Jesus. Jesus was sinless. We remember Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. He writes, the one who knew no sin became sin for us. So, verse 2, and when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. Now, the law of the Sabbath was very clear. The law of the Sabbath was very, very clear. Exodus chapter 20, verse 10 says, There was to be no work done on the Sabbath. None. And Exodus 35, verse, verses 2 and 3 says, Whoever does any work on the Sabbath is to be put to death. Well, that was very, very clear. No Sabbath work. If you do Sabbath work, you're going to die. In fact, in Numbers chapter 15, verses 32 through 36, a man was found in the wilderness gathering sticks on the Sabbath day, and the Lord told Moses to have the people stone that man to death outside the camp for gathering sticks on the Sabbath day. He was working. He was to be put to death. Do not work on the Sabbath day. Very clear, right? Again, the law said it was okay to pick grain, though, as you're walking by through the fields. But the Pharisees said, and that's what they're saying here, the Pharisees said, but on the Sabbath, when you pluck the grain and you rub it in your hands, what you're doing is work. What you're doing is harvesting and threshing. That's work. And that's unlawful. You know, in Matthew, all the accusations against the disciples, not against Jesus, but all the accusations against the disciples were over food. You know that? In, Mark, excuse me, in Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, it was about fasting. That's what they were, they were jumping on the disciples about, about fasting. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 2, it's about the ceremonial washing before you eat. 
And here in, here in chapter 12, it's plucking grain as you pass by and eating the seeds. And now, that's now considered to be labor-intensive by the Pharisees. And here the Pharisees were, were, were over-strict. They were adding to the Sabbath and they were binding tradition on the people that wasn't there in the law. And they judged people harshly. You know, later on, Jesus in John chapter 7 verse 24, Jesus demands us not to judge according to appearance, but to judge with righteous judgment. The Pharisees, though, they didn't judge with with righteous judgment. But why? You know, if if I judged you or you judged me, are, are, are we right? Is it okay for you to judge me and me to judge you? It says in Matthew, Jesus said earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 7, Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. This is a teaching of Christ. How you judge, you will be judged. Do these contradict each other? Do these conflict? One saying, don't judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgments. One saying, just don't judge. Do they conflict each other? No, not at all. One states a fact and one tells how to. Okay? One states a fact and one says how to. So how do we judge, if we have to judge, how do we judge with righteous judgment? Well, certainly not like the Pharisees did. Certainly not like they did. Uh, Certainly not like they did to the disciples. Uh, They judged them according to tradition. So we understand that according to tradition is not the way that you should, you should judge someone. But sometimes we do that, don't, don't we? we? We many times judge that way. We judge according to tradition. We often measure how strong a Christian brother or sister are by how much they attend, how much they participate, how much they help, how much they teach, how much they lead. And their fruit... You know, the fruit of someone is, is certainly, it certainly says something about them. But the problem is this. It, it tends to measure the outside rather than the inside. People can do a whole lot of stuff. And their Christian life looks so alive and so vibrant. But inside they're dead. On the outside they look good. They carry a big black Bible and they, they come to school. They come every time the doors are open and every time there's a gospel meeting, but inside they're dead. We can't judge the outside. You know, hypocrites can exist very comfortably. They really can. We must judge, if we do, with righteous judgment. That's how I want you to judge me. I want you to judge me. I want you to. James says, if you see me as a sinner and you help me and keep me from dying in my sin, you've done me a great service. You've done me a wonderful service. You've, kept me, you've helped keep me out of hell if you judge me and see me in sin. 
and help me out. But to do so, you've got to judge me. I don't want you to judge me like the Pharisees judge me. Judge the disciples. But to judge me with righteous judgment. Now, how do you do that? How do you judge someone with righteous judgment? The Word of God is righteous. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 13. The Word of God is truth. John chapter 17 and verse 17. By the Word of God, we will be judged today and in the end. By God's Word, we will be judged. Because only with the Word can we know God's truth. Not tradition, but God's truth. That's the only way we can know God's truth is with God's Word. That's where the Pharisees failed. Look at verse 3. But he said to them, Have you not read? Now stop here. Have you not read? There are so many... And, and don't, don't, don't be mad at me when I say this, because I'm not saying this with meanness. There are so many ignorant people who don't know what God's want, God wants because they are not, or they cannot, or they refuse to read God's Word for themselves. And they're ignorant. They just don't know, or they don't want to know, or they refuse to know. The irony of Jesus saying, have you not read, is is so clear because these Pharisees, they prided on themselves for knowing. They prided on themselves for being right. You know, and so many times they were right. Jesus said you had to have the righteousness of the Pharisees, but so many times they were so right, they were so right, they were so right, they were wrong. Verse 3, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those that were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the showbread which was not lawful for him to eat, nor those who were with him, but only for the priests? And, And Jesus asked these learned men something that they should have been familiar with, a story from what we call a historical book, what we call 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 21 to be exact, if you, if you want to turn there. I've got it on the screen. We have to understand uh, 1 Samuel 21 in its context. Why is Jesus using this particular passage from a historical book to, to, to bring out the truth to the Pharisees? We have to understand what's happening around the instance. Uh, Jesus here makes reference to, to, to uh, how God has rejected Saul as king. And David has been chosen by God to be the next successor. But David hasn't been crowned king yet. In fact, uh, before chapter 21 here, we see that David is a supporter of Saul. But in chapter 19, verse 21, Saul wants to kill David. And David's best friend, Jonathan, the, the son of Saul has told David that his father wants to kill him. So together, David and Jonathan, verse 20 of chapter 19, they devise a way that David can escape Saul's grasp. David asked Jonathan in, in, in verse 1, he says, What have I done? You know, that's a sermon in itself. I won't get off on that, but that's a sermon in itself. And What have I done? How many times have you been mistreated by someone and not known why? What have I done to be treated like this? That's another sermon for another time. David flees. And in chapter 21, verse 1, it says, Now David came to Nob 
to Ahimelech, the priest. And Ahimelech was afraid when he met David and said to him, Why are you alone and no one is with you? So David said to Ahimelech, the the priest, The king has ordered me on some business and said to me, Do not let anyone know anything about the business on which I send you or what I have commanded you. and And I have directed my young men to such and such place. David is running from Saul. That's what David's doing. He's running from Saul, and he shows up at the doorstep of the priest Ahimelech. Hungry. His men are hungry too. He's on the run. He's on the lamb, we would say. He shows up with a lie. Not a half-truth. Not a half-truth. A lie. David lies here. Lies that he's been on. He's on a secret mission, is what he tells Ahimelech. He wasn't on a secret mission. He lied. He was on a secret mission for Saul. That's what he told the priest. And the priest is basically, basically shaking with fear. He probably knows the politics of the situation. And the priest, he asked for bread and the priest didn't have any bread except, except for the show bread. That's the only bread the priest had was the showbread. Now, 12 loaves or cakes of bread were baked fresh every Sabbath day and placed hot, placed hot on a table in the tabernacle as an offering to God. It was called showbread because it was, it was set out or it was exhibited. It was shown. Showbread. According to Leviticus chapter 24, verses 5 through 9, the bread was to be eaten only by the priests. No one else, just the priests. J.W. McGarvey said it was the old bread that had been replaced that was given to David. And we can see that from verse 6. But still, David clearly lied and clearly broke the law. He ate the bread that was... Only supposed to be for the priest. And then he lied about being on a secret mission. And when I first read Matthew chapter 12 this past week, and then read 1 Samuel chapter 21 verses 1 through 6, my first question was why? Why? Why does David get to lie? Why does David get to break the law and seemingly do so without consequence? I mean, the fellow in the wilderness who was picking up sticks, he broke the law and he was stoned outside the camp. Why not David? And then be used by an example by Jesus. Used as an example by Jesus. I had to ask that question too. Why, why would Jesus use this lie as an example? Now, we cannot justify David's lie. We can't justify lying, no matter how hard we try. Just because it's David. That's what the rabbis tried to do. Some of the rabbinical tradition, it goes as far as to say that it's all right to lie because of this situation as long as there's a necessity for the lie. But that's not true. We know that all liars will go to hell. Revelation 21 verse 8. Not just some liars... Not just liars who lie out of necessity or don't lie out of necessity, but all liars. Winter the lake of fire and brimstone that burns forever and ever, which is the second death. So we can't justify David's 
lie. His lie ends up getting the priest killed in chapter 22. The lie was not a success. You know, so, so many times we try to lie our way through stuff thinking if we can just tell this lie and just get out of it, it'll be a success. Nobody will bother us. We'll, we'll get through this if we can just lie our way out of it. Well, that ain't the way it is all the time. It wasn't the way it is, was for David. His lie got the priest killed. Even though in chapter 22, verse 22, it seems like David kind of regrets his lie. You know, had David put himself in God's hands, I believe the, the outcome may have been a little more different. Maybe things would have worked out differently. But this was written for our learning. This was written for our warning. That's why it's here. Okay? For us to learn by. Jesus uses this example to teach them then and us today. A lesson. What lesson is Jesus trying to teach? Jesus is not saying that it's all right to violate the law by using David's example. But he argues with the Pharisees for the truth. The truth that the Pharisees were not using to judge the disciples with. They were, they were not using the truth to judge the disciples for picking, husking, and eating the heads of grain. A side note about David, he shows here uh, the dichotomy of his situation. David was lying, but he was being good at the same time. He was lying to get out of a situation so he could get some food maybe, but at the same time he was trying to be good because he was running away from Saul so that he, so that he wouldn't have to, to go against his own king. That's the way a lot of us are a lot of times, aren't we? The devil plays that on us. The devil plays that on us. You're a bad person, but you're a good person in some ways. Now, God can't have sin in His presence. Isaiah 59, verse 1, but all things can be used by God. All things can be used by God. This incident about David and Saul was well known to the Pharisees. And God used this example of David to to teach us and the Pharisees a lesson. The, The Pharisees thought David was the best thing since... Well, sliced showbread. David was awesome. How perfect for Jesus to use David as the example for the reason that the Pharisees should get off the backs of the disciples and quit judging the way they're judging. Jesus doesn't justify what David did. Jesus uses him as an example of a real violation of the law by someone that they respected. Ignorance of the scriptures uh, were these supposed leaders' problem. With unrighteous and unloving judgment, they judged the disciples. They were supposed to love their neighbor as they loved themselves. What it says in Matthew 22, verse 39, that's the second greatest commandment. First is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So are we. We're supposed to do that too. How do you do that? How do you love your neighbor as yourself? I agree with C.S. Lewis. Sometimes I don't like myself. Sometimes I don't like my own company. 
Sometimes I'd sooner go to bed and try again tomorrow. Just to get away from me. Sometimes I don't think I'm attractive. I'm not a sweet tater sometimes. Sometimes I think I'm a jerk. So, loving my neighbor doesn't mean I like them or I think they're attractive or I don't think they're a jerk for being mean to me. Do I think I'm a good guy? Yeah. Thinking myself nice is not why I love myself, though. Loving my enemies or my neighbor doesn't always mean thinking they're nice either. You know, hey, that's, aren't you glad? That, doesn't that take some pressure off a little bit? Lots of folks think forgiving your enemy means that now you're supposed to think they're nice. Again, I agree with C.S. Lewis. In my most clear moments, I think I'm nice, but I know how nasty I have been. I look at some of the things I've done with horror and embarrassment, and I hate some of the things that I've done. So apparently I can hate things my neighbor or my enemy do too. Hate the sin, love the sinner. Isn't that the, what we say? Isn't that the axiom we use? Hate the sin, love the sinner? You know, there's one man I have been doing this to all my life. And that's me. I've been doing that to myself all my life. Even though I mess up, I go right along loving myself. There are some things that need to be hated. But we need to be sorry and hope that somehow, some way, somewhere, the problem that we see in others that we judge so harshly over, that they'll work that out with God. We need to love them as we love ourselves. Someday they'll be cured. I love myself this way. Over and over. Every day. But more often than not, I act more like the Pharisees and I judge with unrighteous judgment. And I must repent. I must repent. Matthew chapter 12 verse 5. Or have you not read? Again, folks, we can't take man's opinion or tradition, but what God says about the matter. Have you not read in the law? And Jesus snaps the Pharisees from tradition to the law. Okay? The law is the stronger case. It's a stronger case than historical precedent. In the law, it said, verse 5, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the temple but are blameless. Now, man reasons with man's reasons. God reasons by his word. John chapter 12, verse 48. And the law ordered work on the Sabbath by the priest. The Sabbath was the busiest day of the week for a priest. Yet the law makes provision for the priest to work and do the work that they needed to do on the Sabbath. Verse 6. Yet I say to you that in this place there is one greater than the temple. Verse 7. But if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. 
the one in that place, it says right there, and the Lord of the Sabbath, they're the same person, Jesus Christ. The guiltless were the disciples. The Pharisees, they accused the guiltless. And they were cruel in their rigidness. And what Jesus says here, and then later, in that same chapter, what he does when he heals the one on the Sabbath, what he says and what he does must have shocked these people. Those that were listening, the Sabbath was, was given for the Israelites, for their good, not, not, their, not their harm, not, not to hinder them. Besides, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. If he wants to change it, he can. Because Jesus is God. And later on, he will pay the price. He will die on the cross. He'll rise from the dead. And, you know, that's the gospel. That's God's power to save mankind, Romans chapter 1, verse 16. Jesus, Romans chapter 1, verse 4, it says, was declared to be the Son of God with power. Jesus is introducing a new covenant that he will later nail to the cross, nail out of the way, Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. And to be greater than the temple, the all-revered temple, was to be equal with God. And as supreme lawgiver, Jesus could and will and did dispense with the old law. They must have been shocked when they heard all this. But Jesus points out their problem and our problem with just two gems from God's Word. Jesus points out the simple truth. They and we many times are ignorant of of the first principles and we're ignorant of what God desires. God desires, it says here, mercy, not sacrifice. Here, Jesus quotes Hosea chapter 6, verse 6. You remember Hosea, don't you? You remember he married his wife Gomer. She was a prostitute. She was always running around on him. You remember remember Hosea, don't you? And, And Gomer... They, she was always running around on him. And, and you know, this, the, the startling thing is God told Hosea to marry Gomer. So that they would be a living example of how Israel treated God. They treated God so bad. They were running to other gods all the time. And Jesus, he reminds these Pharisees and us today, do not start putting other gods for me, basically, before me, basically. He's pulling out Hosea there. Asking them to repent and come back. If you have the power to be merciful, do so. It's better, to, it's better than sacrifice to be merciful. Because Matthew chapter 5 verse 7, the merciful obtain mercy. And because Jesus, Hebrews chapter 14 verse 6, because of Him we can come boldly through the, to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace when we do need help. The Pharisees, with their form of tradition, failed to be merciful. The form means nothing if the inner man is not right. Our measure of the inner man is found in in righteousness, in, in truthful Scripture. You know, one may speak with the tongues of angels, but if he doesn't love, well, he's, he's, he's nothing. 1 Corinthians 13, 2. Elders, you may have children who believe, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 6. But if the elder is quick-tempered, Titus 1, verse 7, what good do they do? Members, you may attend services faithfully, but do your outside actions outside these walls 
Do they show that you're a real Christian? Titus chapter 2 verses 1 through 8. We can't look at the outside. We've got to look at the inner. We've got to reform the inside. Then the outside will follow. The outside will take care of itself. Transform yourself by renewing your mind. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. That way you can know you've changed. God will know you've changed. Others, they'll only see the outside. God sees your heart. And you'll know. You'll know. Now some of you are kind of like David today. You are here. And that's good. But you're a sinner with sin all over you. And that's bad. But if you obey, you can be saved. That's better than BOGO. That's better than buy one, get one free. David was, after our passages that we've read today, David was one step closer to being king. Jesus was one step closer to dying on the cross. It's my hope that you are one step closer to obeying God. Make this your final step. Come right now. As together we stand and sing.